Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Let's be honest. The first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away, because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking how to tackle your student loans with Lauren Williams. Today on the show, we're talking with gold medal winning certified financial planner, Lauren Williams. Uh, and I'm being serious. <laughs> she is an Olympic athlete and is the first American woman to medal in both the summer and winter Olympic Games. It's super cool. And we're excited to uh, have Lauren share about that here in a bit. So Lauren, she's a CFP. She's won gold as an Olympic athlete. And Lauren is also a certified student loan professional a CSLP, so she has a high level of expertise in all things student loans, especially when it comes to uh, forbearance, student loan forgiveness, uh, the different income-based repayment plans. So we're looking forward to talking about that with you today, Lauren. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I am so excited to chat with you all. I think we are going to have a blast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're really looking forward to ha uh, this conversation. And Lauren, the, the first question we ask everybody who comes on the show, Matt and I, we like craft beer. We spend uh, what some would say a little too much on our craft beer. Um, but we disagree because we think it's important to spend a lot on a few things, on the, the things that you really value in life while you're saving and investing well for the future. So we want to know from you, what is 
your craft beer equivalent? What do you splurge on? Oh, that is definitely food um, and okay. food experiences to be exact. So, you know, there's Airbnb experiences where you're allowed to like kind of go do walking tours for food. There's underground restaurants. Um, so I'm not just talking like I like to eat. There's a lot of people that, you know, say they're foodies, et cetera. But I am definitely willing to spend like 300 bucks on a meal, not blink okay. twice, not cringe at all and be so excited at the end of it. See, I could never do that. I would be cringing uh, the whole time. Would like, you? Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever... I remember one time I took my wife out. We we went at the, to this one place and it was like $180 for the both of us to eat and that's the most I've ever spent on a meal and I still think about that. Oh, I'm like, how did we do that? <laughs> so, you know, you branch out a little bit. <laughs> well, Laura, what's like the coolest, I mean, you said experience and so does that mean like the chef's table kind of where you're sitting there and, you know, they're, they're bringing you, you know, what it is they choose to bring you? Like, what's the coolest experience that you have uh, yes, experienced? <laughs> that is exactly the kind of okay. thing that I would love to do, yes. um, have done and, yeah, are looking for those sorts of experiences. Another one is, like I said, the underground restaurant so you basically have to find out about them via word of mouth get on a list then you wait on this list Uh. and then you're chosen in a lottery (laughs) they give you the location only like 24 hours in advance and then you show up and you dine with others who have been chosen um with like some of the greatest chefs that are around that's super cool well that's got to make it even more fun kind of to do it with other people who are super into it like who have gone through the same grueling process that you went through to just be at that table it's like a gorilla restaurant touring like (laughs) basically so i think you and my wife would get along real well she keeps up with a lot of different chefs uh and they do like the pop-ups that's been the latest thing Mm -hmm. uh and she's like okay hey we got to go eat here this day because they're only going to be there that one week uh or hey over here we can like order some food to go bring it home that kind of thing uh but that's super cool glad to hear that that is something you're into lauren we want to talk about your story i guess before we actually talk about student loans and so let's kind of wind back the clock a little bit you were majoring in finance at the University of Miami, but then something happened while you were there uh, that propelled you into a different line of work, essentially. Can you share that experience? Yeah, you never know where life is going to send you on a hard left turn. (laughs) Literally, that's what you do in the track is just keep turning left. Um, (laughs) So I was a junior in college and I ran the second fastest time in the world at the college national championships. It was 2004. It was the Olympic year. Um, And so immediately I I had to turn my focus from being a junior in college to representing Team USA, being the favorite to represent Team USA, um, going off to the Olympic trials where I got third. So it took a little bit of the pressure off, but not very much and made my first Olympic team at 20 years old. Wow. What, I mean, what was that like? That had to be, was it shocking? Were you expecting that? Uh, like, or were you just expecting to kind of have a normal senior year at college? I was, it was actually my junior year, but I was definitely expecting to have a normal year. All I wanted to do was um, be better than I was the previous two years at the NCAA championship. So I was fortunate enough to have made it to the college nationals, my freshman and my sophomore year. Um, But I felt like my sophomore year, I'd beat some of the girls um, at different races. And then I kind of flopped at the nationals. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to experience that anymore. I'm going to be great when it's important to be great, which Mm -hmm. is at that championship race. Well, Lauren, I mean, the Olympics have actually been over for a week now, but you actually competed in four different Olympics. Uh, you medaled in, yeah, like I said, the you know both the summer and winter Olympics. Can you explain how that uh, how that ha- actually happened? <laughs> 
Well, funny story. <laughs> the three Olympics kind of were a, a normal trajectory, okay. I guess, once I took the, the left turn and, and became an Olympian for the first time. Uh, but that last one, uh, chance meeting in the airport led me to learn about bobsled, decide to give it a try, and six months later find myself at the Olympic Games. So don't underestimate what can happen in an airport when you're talking to people. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. So what was it like? I mean, training for one sport and then having to figure out how to, I mean, I don't know, compete on the international stage in a completely different sport under like completely different conditions. What what was that like for you? Um, It was the most rewarding and the toughest six months of my life to date uh, because I was challenged in ways I'd never thought that you could be challenged. Mm. Uh, I learned things I never, you know, had planned to learn. Um, and it was just like such a quick, you know, a steep learning curve that you had to figure out so many different things. And I say the main thing being, you know, how to work well together with others, uh, how to really put the team before yourself while being on the team. When it comes to like training for both track and then for bobsledding, like what are your days like in that? And, and does it ever get monotonous um i'm just kind of interested in like what the day-to-day it it truly does sound like all left turns right right? yeah yeah yeah. so does it get boring or is it just is it just constantly intense i mean yeah what's what are the day-to-days like for an olympian well, there, it's not monotonous at all. You do a different workout every day and then you're building on those workouts. So that's one thing. And then there's also, you know, physical therapy. There's, you know, proper nutrition, uh, massage therapist. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into it, but it is kind of like working out all day, every day. Okay. <laughs> Definitely is a full-time job. Sounds um, like my nightmare, but uh, okay. I'm glad you like it. I think that's, that's why it sounds monotonous to you, Joel, because yeah. like, I mean, you will exercise when you can ride your bike and you can get somewhere. Yep. Uh, whereas like last night I went for a run. I was thinking about Lauren's interview and I was like you know what it's been a couple weeks an extra mile just for, just for this <laughs> I, I put in a nice little 5k I got my three, 3.1 miles in that's correct right Lauren 3.1 right. <laughs> that's further than I will ever run so yeah okay <laughs> that's really true yeah, to you. you said those short bursts right <laughs> right uh, well okay let's, let's kind of transition a little bit to money Lauren there's this recent study that found that 60% of Olympic athletes they actually don't consider themselves financially stable some make millions, but that actually isn't the norm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious of your experience with that. Can you shed some light on the, the personal finance situation of most of the different Olympians out there? Yeah, um, it's one of the things that a lot of people don't know, but um, most Olympians, like you said, are not funded. Um, they work full time. Some of them are working two or three jobs in addition to trying to uh, excel on an elite level at their sport. Uh, so it's really, really tough for someone to have to work three jobs. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. I'll tell a story of 2004 when I made my first Olympic team. Like I said, I was fortunate enough to get a contract from Nike. And like I said, all this happened really fast for me. But I remember very mm-hmm. clearly being in the airport headed home um, and the gentleman who won the silver medal in the high jump, his name is Matt Hemingway, was so excited that he was going to be cutting back his hours at work. And he's like, I think I'm just going to work a 40 hour work week. And I was like, wait a minute. Wow. Isn't that what most people do is like eight times five and that's 40. You know, I'm, I'm fresh out of school, but I'm pretty sure 40 <laughs> hours is like the norm. And yeah, Matt had been working 80 hour work weeks Ouch. and training and won a silver medal at the Olympics. Oh my so. gosh. That puts it all in perspective for you um, as it pertains to how some athletes are having to, you know, Mm. work to maintain their lifestyle or work to just kind of get by, forget about maintaining a lifestyle um, in in addition to, like I said, mixing that with participating in sport. Dad joke on the way. Matt set a very high bar for uh, everyone else out there. (laughs) 
it's, it's an impressive feat. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. It, well, and and so yeah, it, I guess it's some of the more high-profile athletes in some of the more high-profile sports that get some of the bigger sponsorships and are able to dedicate themselves fully to training for the sport that they're you know trying to compete in. But then uh, it, I guess. That leaves a lot of athletes, though, on the sidelines having to work um, and at the same time do the training, right? Even just in order to compete. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's like a a big misnomer is, like you said, you see the people on TV and we equate fame with fortune. But fame and fortune are not, in fact, the the same thing. So um, you see, you know, Simone Biles and, you know, the the big names or the the people that are chosen to be kind of the forefront of the Olympic Games. And then you say, okay, well, they did really well. Someone else who got an Olympic medal, even if they didn't um, achieve the TV status, they must have done really well financially, and they actually don't do very well. So I know plenty of gold medalists who hmm. aren't have not even reached the six-figure mark uh, as it pertains to earnings. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah, re- re- speaking of finances, so kind of going back to your original major uh, and then now your career, Lauren, how do you feel like the, the skills that you developed while training for the Olympics, uh, how do you feel that that translated into the world of finance uh, that you that you work in now? There was quite a bit of carryover from sport to life after sport. So I would say the biggest thing would be perseverance. What I mean by that is in track and field, you know, you show up at practice. Some days you're sore. um, Some days you're tired. Some days practice doesn't go very well. And you're just like, oh, my goodness, am I still fast? You know, (laughs) do I still have it? Uh, But Mm. you continue to show up. So for me, perseverance is that idea. Like you said, you show up when you're sore. You show up after you've gotten your butt kicked. You show up, you know, even after your coach yelled at you. And day after day, you continue to show up because you're building a foundation. Um, even when you get to the competition kind of realm, you know, you don't win every race. Like, I don't know very many people who, you know, get get it all right all the time, but you still continue to show up because bad races in addition to good races is, are what lead to, you know, winning the championship. And so you get over to the finance world and, you know, you're not going to get every client. Um, you're not going to make every client perfectly happy despite, you know, whatever kind of vision or values you have within your firm. Um, and sometimes you're just going to get it like flat out wrong, but you show up anyway. It took me yeah, quite cool. a while to become profitable as a financial planner. So um, I kept showing up. Yeah, I, I feel like that that same that that also applies to the world of personal finance, right? For oh, everybody yeah. in there with their when it comes to their you know individual relationship with money, oftentimes you know people who've gotten themselves into credit card debt over seven, eight. 10 years, they want to find out how to get out of that credit card debt in the next six months. Um, <laughs> and it takes the same thing. It takes perseverance. Like It took you a long time to get into that. It's going to take a little while to get out of that, but it, but it's going to take that dedication, right? That, um, that ability to be disciplined in order to achieve the outcome that you want. And I think sometimes we we want what we want and we want it now, <laughs> but that's just not the way it works when it comes to you know, building wealth or paying off debt either, right? Exactly. Um, nothing happens overnight. Like you said, champions are not made overnight. Um, if you gained a lot of weight, you don't get skinny overnight. I'm, I'm actually in the midst of experiencing that in real time right now. <laughs> this very retired body. Um, it takes time. And like you said, it takes like said, it takes perseverance in the sense that you're not going to get it all right. Uh, but you need to continue forward even when you don't. So if you eat a bucket of ice cream, um, that doesn't mean you don't get back on the horse the next day. You don't eat yeah. five more buckets of ice cream and, and go down backwards. Ah, screw it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Those splurges and, you know, you're trying to get out of credit card debt, then you have a splurge or something that was unplanned for, you know, it's okay to feel what you feel, but also continue on the journey of getting debt free. 
I love it. Love it, Lauren. Love the energy that you're bringing. And we're going to continue to talk uh, more with you here. Specifically, we're going to dive into student loans. And we'll get to that right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Kachava is the all in one superfood shake made up of high quality plant based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to kachava.com dot com slash how to money that's spelled k 
K-A-C-H-A-V-A, and get 10% off your first order. That's K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash how to money. All right, we're back from the break. We're talking with Lauren Williams about tackling student loan debt. We're going to get into a bunch of different student loan questions with uh, Lauren, who is a certified student loan professional, which means she knows a whole lot of stuff about this in just a second. Uh, Lauren, before we get to that, I wanted to ask you too, you said that part of what led you to working as a financial advisor was the fact that you were actually let down by other advisors um, and you felt like you had to figure things out for yourself. So I'm curious, what was that process like uh, of trying to interview financial advisors and then realizing that there wasn't anybody out there that necessarily fit the bill you were looking for? Yeah, well, it's pretty tough because I think one of the things that um, I had going against me was that I didn't have a lot of experience. I was young, like I said, junior in college. I had like thousand bucks a month or something like that coming mm-hmm. in. Um, so you, I didn't have a whole lot to manage. And then I had, you know, a significant amount to manage. Uh, and I didn't have any real frame of reference for what questions I should be asking. So I didn't know what fee only meant. I didn't know what a certified financial planner was. Uh, I didn't know that there were commissions or, you know, that some people only focus on investments. There's so many many different things about the financial professionals. And like I said, I didn't have financial literacy, (laughs) how to make a budget. You know, can I move out from living with my college roommate? Lots of people were in my ear telling me buy a house, you know, that's the best thing you can do right now. And Mm. I'm like, well, how much house can I afford? And it was like three times the amount of whatever you make. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like a lot. Um, you know, and they weren't financial professionals. So I had enough knowledge to know, like, "Mm, I don't know if I should listen to you, (laughs) (laughs) but I didn't know who I should be going to seek out to listen to or, you know, who would have expertise in that area. And so the letdown for me was like, I'm not an athlete who was stolen from or mismanaged in a way that, you know, caused me to go broke, but I definitely did not get the service that I needed or the the understanding or um, really any value out of participating in financial planning other Mm. than to put money in investments. Right. Well, I mean, we're glad that you didn't go to this, you know, through the school of hard knocks when it came to you and your money. Uh, but for our listeners, Lauren, like, I mean, how would you recommend that they find an advisor uh, who is actually helpful so that they aren't wasting their time? Yeah. So my big three are fee only CFP and fiduciary. Those are the three things that I would say you should be looking for in a financial professional. Um, fee only being that they're going to charge you a fee related that you're going to understand. It's like, this is how much I pay my financial professional. Mm-hmm. Um, CFP being that they are a certified financial planner, they've gone through um, a certain amount of education, they've taken an exam, they have to have three years of experience before they can even call themselves a CFP, and then they're held to a code of ethics. So there's a lot of different things that are going to help them give you a more holistic look at your finances. Um, But then really, I mean, the fiduciary aspect of it is that they need to do what's in your best interest, which is crazy to me that there are people out there that don't need to do what's in your best interest as it pertains to finances. Right. Well, there was an attempt to make legislation that required uh, financial planners to be fiduciaries. And then that kind of went away after a little bit of a fight. And we were bummed to see that because I I do think that's a standard that all financial financial planners should be held to. But until they are, like people need to do their own due diligence and look out for themselves and make sure they're asking those questions of anybody that they might potentially be working with. 
Definitely. And I think the last thing is to really understand what it is you want. So if you want help with your student loans, you know, make sure you ask questions about that. Do you have any expertise in this area? If you want to be, you know, buy your first home or you're trying to figure out how to merge your finances with your spouse, you need help making a budget. Ask for those specific things that are important to you as it relates to your finances. So, so often we just think, you know, let the person talk to us, tell us what they can offer. Oh, that stuff sounds good. But there's this whole other list of things that are, you know, Mm on your mind that you didn't know that they would or would not help you with. So be really customizing and asking the questions that are relatable for yourself. Yeah, there's there's probably a list of tasks that you're wanting to have accomplished by hiring an advisor. Uh, I think that's really smart. Basically kind of working backwards. This is the problem I want to have solved. Yeah, Uh, let's make sure that you can do that. And Lauren, you know, you, you, you kind of touched on student loans there. Let's go ahead and shift gears. Talk about that. What specifically got you interested uh, in student loans? Like what drew you to specialize in helping folks with their student loan problems? Yeah, this is an um, unfortunate story in, the, in that regard. But my very first client uh, at my firm worth winning uh, was a young lady who made about $134,000 and had $364,000 of student loan debt. Oh, mm. ouch. And so all I was thinking was like, yay, my first like organic client from, you know, that's not like my mom or my mom's friend. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what to do. Like she, you know, six figures is something I think is a milestone for a lot of people, Um, especially I've experienced in like communities of color. Uh, That's like something that people are trying to achieve. And so she's like, I've made it past that mark. You know, I have this education. Um, I'm living a small cost of living city. She was in Michigan. And. And I I just can't meet my monthly expenses and the student loan is weighing me down. And I didn't have good answers for her initially. And so I had to start doing some research because, you know, it was unfortunate that the the CFP didn't teach me that. So it's like, I've got all this knowledge, but this one area I'm still lacking in because student loans are so nuanced and there's something that, you know, are new and people are still trying to wrap their head around. So I dived into Google and found Heather Jarvis, who is a a lawyer who's done quite a bit of uh, the legislation around getting those income driven plans that a lot of people are on past Um, linked up with her, took some of her classes was like, this is not enough. Uh, I'm going to be your apprentice. And she's like, but I don't need an apprentice. And I'm like, yes, yes, you do. I need to learn more about this. So, um, so yeah, that unfortunate situation of, you know, seeing that lady not be able to, pay her student loans or not have any real clear plausible plan or how to fix it. You know, like, you know, we just say like pay your debt and it's just like, she's never going to be done with this. And how is she ever going to, you know, purchase anything else like Mm -hmm. a home or, you know, she didn't even have a car at that time. It was just the student loan debt. Uh, And it got me really passionate about being able to, you know, find solutions for people. So yeah, who can benefit the most from hiring an advisor who's also has that CSLP designation? Like, um, if if you have a bunch of student loan debt, would you would you like recommend that people find somebody that has that designation that can especially especially provide some help and guidance uh, for their particular situation? Definitely. And I would say also be weary of um, people who are reaching out to you. So, you know, the phone calls that you get, the the same way that the IRS doesn't call you, um, uh, the federal government is not going to call you about your student loan. So they're calling you and they're telling you they're going to fix your life. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just do this process and just pay us $29.99 a month for the, you know, next three years Mm -hmm. and we'll take care of everything. You can handle your student loan, you know, paperwork and things like that on your own. Um, And a lot of those companies are scams. So be very leery. 
necessary. Do your research and reach out to people, like you said, that are certified professionals. Um, there's a great company, Student Loan Planner. I think you guys, like you said, have, have checked it out before. Yeah. Where the information is credible. Um, there's lots of free resources for you to, to go ahead and learn more about your student loan situation. Uh, there's a podcast as well. There's, there's just so much information that you can get for free. But then there's also, I can, um, you know, hire a professional that I know knows this stuff inside out uh, and can customize a plan for me. Um, so I would also recommend that. Yeah, I think that's that coaching aspect of it, right? I mean, as an athlete, you know, having it's one thing to have all the knowledge, but it's something else to have somebody like you said, maybe yelling at you occasionally, <laughs> uh, but helping you to actually yelling words of encouragement, <laughs> <laughs> help, helping you to, to actually do the hard work. Uh, and that's, I think, certainly when a, a professional like that can be beneficial. Lauren, let's kind of get a, get current with it, right? Federal mm-hmm. student loans, they've been in forbearance for borrowers since uh, March of last year. That's been great, I think, for, for many folks to be able to prioritize uh, just whatever their different goals have been, right? Whether that's uh, building up their savings, paying off other types of debt. And now those payments aren't set to resume until February of next year of uh, 2022. How should people be thinking about their student loans right now with the uh, the most recent deferment pushback? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is that if you have been making payments and you should not have been making payments, you can get every dollar that you have paid since March of 2020 back. So what does that mean? You have to first figure out, should you have been making payments? Uh, If you owe more than 1.25 times what you earn, then there's a high likelihood that you should be trying for what we call uh, taxable forgiveness. Taxable forgiveness is you being on one of those income driven repayment plans, which many people are on, but they may be on them and they be paying a little bit extra. They're on them and they're not really sure how they work exactly. After 20 or 25 years, whatever is left over of your loan amount is going to be forgiven. However, you will have to pay taxes on what is forgiven. So you should mm-hmm. be setting aside a little bit for taxes, um, paying your student loan payment, but not paying a dollar extra towards your loans, which means since March of last year, when they told you to pay zero, you know, you might have felt your heart tug a little bit and you're like, oh man, but it doesn't feel good to pay nothing. I'm not one of the people who was in a situation where I lost my income and I just, I just want to keep paying. Um, you are literally throwing money into a black hole, the trash, the <laughs> toilet, however you want to call it. Burning um, it. Right. But the good news is that you can get it all back. So find out which boat you're in, um, which I should probably mention what that other boat is. And that is refinancing, paying the loans back aggressively. And that's basically, like you said, you earn more than you owe. Um, and in that case, you should probably be looking at refinancing, but not until, uh, that COVID forbearance is over because 0% interest is going to be better than any interest rate you can get, um, with a private company right now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so how is it that folks are able to get that money back that they've been paying? You simply call your servicer and say, Hey, I'd like to get all of my money back and they know that they have to give every dollar back um, from March 13th of 2020 uh, that you paid up to this point so and it's usually like seven to ten business days before it drops back into your account okay but I think when you look at the numbers there aren't many people who have been paying right like it's a very small fraction of the borrowers who have actually continued to pay even though they haven't had to gotta be living under a rock yeah (laughs) I know right yeah (laughs) but uh, let's talk about the the income-based repayment plans that you mentioned there are a few different flavors of those plans, what are the biggest mistakes that you see in the area of like IBR plans? And yeah, do, do you ever see folks that are on the wrong plan that need to change plan that need to like update their information, like in order to have their payment reduced? Like, what should people that are on those plans right now be thinking? 
Yeah. So the biggest thing that I see is not knowing the difference because the acronyms are very confusing. So yes, IDR is the name of the program, Income Driven Repayment. And so sometimes I ask clients, you know, what payment plan are you on? They're on like, I'm on IBR. And IBR, income-based, that's the word that we use kind of as common terms, but it's actually not income-based. The program is income-driven and income-based is one of four other options under mm-hmm. the income-driven umbrella. So one big mistake I see people making is not understanding that, you know, there are four different repayment options under income-driven and they all choose IBR just because that's the term that they've heard before. So income-based and they get on that one. There are Three other ones. Um, ICR, income contingent repayment, is the worst of the four. Um, So you should not be on that one unless you have parent plus loans that have already been consolidated. That is the only situation where I've ever seen it be appropriate for someone to be on ICR because it is based on 20% of your discretionary income. IBR is the next least likely one that you should be on. Um, There are some situations where it is more appropriate, and I said far more than there is ICR, and that one is going to be based on 15% of your discretionary income. Now, there's two other plans. R-E-P-A-Y-E, so repay, uh, okay. and that one's going to be 10% of your income. And then there's P-A-Y-E, so, you know, there's there's pay and there's repay. <laughs> <laughs> and those two, you know, like, why would I, I pay? I love that we made it simple for people, you know? <laughs> so simple, so simple. <laughs> but why would I pay 20% of my income every month when I could pay 10%? The answer is you would not unless you absolutely have to. So it, you want to first see if you're eligible for that pay or that repay plan um, if you're going for that taxable forgiveness. And don't just default to IBR because it's income-based. That is a plan that everybody can get on. Um, Now, the problem is that, like I said, everyone cannot get on pay-as-you-earn or repay. So with repay, the requirement is that you have direct loans. Uh, With pay, it's that you have direct loans and that you did not borrow before October 1st of 2007. So now people are listening. They're like, oh, my goodness. Like, oh, I didn't borrow before that date and I'm on IBR. This is your opportunity to switch. Um, And especially, like you said, we're in in COVID forbearance. What can you be doing? Uh, Making those switches now so that when you get back to repayment, uh, your payment is now less. Well, yeah. So that's definitely great to know because you want to make sure that you are on the proper plan to make sure that, I mean, you don't want to go through a program and and then not actually have it count towards the proper program. It's all about making sure that you're within the correct program. Is that right? That is right. But also there's a caveat. So so when you switch from one income driven plan to another, they do continue to count your credit. So if you're going for 20 or 25 years, so let's say you're on IBR, Mm -hmm. that one is one that takes place over 25 years. You switch to the pay as you earn plan, which is a 20 year plan. You don't lose the credit that you've already had. However, There are lots of other plans, which, like you said, why is why it's so important to speak to someone and get a customized plan for yourself mm-hmm. because uh, it's like, oh, well, what if I choose something that's not income driven at all? And then you're exactly right. You've now been on the wrong plan for 10 years paying on your loans. Uh, you've wasted quite a bit of money. And now you're switching to maybe an income driven repayment plan and starting the clock and got 20 or 25 more years to go. That's not an ideal situation to be in. Right, right. Okay. So just like over just like big picture here. So like having less debt in your life, we want everyone to hear this, right? Like that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what you're saying is there's two different boats that you can be in. You can if you're earning less, then you can be, you know, within an IDR, an income driven repayment plan. But if you are earning more and you don't qualify, I mean, would you recommend for those folks to just really get after that student loan debt and to really pay it off as quickly as they can? 
Exactly. You want to get that off your plate as soon as possible so that you can pay as little interest as possible. Um, and one of the big things with the federal system, the reason that people are using, you know, private lenders is because private lenders give better interest rates and there's no way to negotiate with the federal system. So that's another misnomer that I see all the time is people say, oh, well, I consolidate it. And the word consolidate and refinancing are used interchangeably um, in other parts of the financial world, but they're not the same thing as it pertains to student loans. So consolidating is something that happens within the federal system. So if you look at your, you know, big file at studentaid.gov, you'll see 20 or 30 loans or however many you borrowed. Consolidating is taking them and squishing them all down into one or two loans, but they're still federal loans. So there's various reasons that people do that. Maybe they're trying to get uh, uh, access to a different payment plan. Uh, they want to start paying earlier. There's all sorts of different things. They're trying to get out of default or some, some sort of bad situation. Uh, but consolidating is your loan staying federal. However, refinancing is taking those federal loans out of the federal system and putting them with the private lender. Once you've done that, there is no going back. So you want to be sure, very, very sure before you do that, um, because you're getting rid of things like public service loan forgiveness, getting rid of these income driven plans that we just talked about, getting rid of the COVID forbearance. Everybody who has private loans right now is still paying. Anybody who did that refinance in like, let's say January of 2020 was probably like, dang it, that was the wrong (laughs) move. But for people, as we come out of this forbearance, it's been kind of telegraphed that this is going to be the last one, Uh, you know, in in the spring of next year, it might make sense for some people, especially people who are in good financial standing and and want to get their, their student loans off their plate as quickly as possible, refinancing might make sense uh, into a private loan for some of those people. I want to talk about the elephant in the room too, Mm. Lauren, um, student loan cancellation. Uh, There have been like a lot of headlines, some of them a little (laughs) clickbaity, suggesting Mm -hmm. that student loans aren't going to exist pretty soon, right? That thanks to the largesse of the federal government, uh, your student loans will no longer burden you. Um, But yeah, I think that possibility does exist, but how should people think about paying off their loans when they see those articles? Like, should they delay paying off some of that debt in hopes that it's just kind of kind of magically disappear? Um, I don't think that you should delay based on the, the hope that there's someone going to swoop in with a magical wand or a cape and uh, make those loans go away. Uh, and the reason is we need to think beyond ourselves. So there's, you know, roughly, I think, 44 million student loan borrowers the last time I checked. Wow. And Imagine if all the debt went away. What would happen to our economy? (laughs) Um, Now, you know, is education an area that needs a gross revamping? Absolutely. Uh, But there are professors that, you know, need to earn a living. There are, you know, buildings that need to be taken care of on college campuses and, you know, teachers and janitors, you name it. Um, You know, there are other people attached to the education system. And so to wipe everything out and to say that you did not need to pay anything ever for the education that you received, I think is going to, you know, definitely be very bad for our economy. Um, But overall, it's not going to be fair, like you said, across the board, because what about the people who paid off their loan? So I don't I don't think that it's coming the the magical cape. I think that some forgiveness um, is something that could happen. Um, And I think it could offer a lot of relief to people who are in really tough situations. So, you know, as an example, that ten thousand dollar forgiveness and it 
tied be it being tied to some some level of income that would wipe out people who have gone to you know cosmetology school or barber school or something and you know their school shut down some of these you know tech technical schools that you know are clickbaity or via television and you, sh- you show up and then they're shut down a few years later um you know they're in a low earning situation uh, now they have debt on top of it and they can't really even get themselves going because they don't have you can- they can't clear up their credit mm. um that can help a lot of people so i think some forgiveness is coming i don't think blanket forgiveness is coming and i don't think that everyone should be upset that blanket's forgiveness is not if if it does not come they say it could still happen um but we need to consider like you said uh this is bigger than us this is our you know this is our economy this is our government this is this is our world that we got to live in after student loans are canceled yeah it would have massive effects like i mean you you said capes so it made me think of like the marvel movies (laughs) makes me think of thanos you know like if (laughs) so if biden just like snapped his fingers and you know all student loans were wiped out i mean like you said that would have devastating impacts on our economy. So yeah, we're totally with you. We think that yeah, it's a possibility, but don't count on it. Yeah. All right. We got more questions to get to with you, Lauren, including we want to talk about income share agreements. They're kind of a popular alternative to student loans. So yeah, we'll get to questions about that and more with you right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So, if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making (laughs) making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. 
Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we are back and we were talking with Lauren Williams about uh, student loans specifically. And Lauren, uh, a couple of student loan servicers are actually dropping their contracts with the the federal government. Uh, On the surface, this kind of seems like a boring headline, but how will this have an impact on some borrowers out there? It is not a boring headline. And the reason that it's not is because <laughs> the big one that's doing it is Fed Loan, who is the official servicer of public service loan forgiveness. So if you work at a government agency or a nonprofit organization and you've signed up for this program, or you maybe you don't even know that it existed, hopefully we're turning people on to the fact that the program exists. Um, mm-hmm. The program is not going away. So never fear, you can still sign up. Um, and if you're in it, you're not going to be booted from it. But Fed Loans, the actual servicer, uh, is going away. And so the big wonder and the, the reason I actually think the extension was created was because who's going to take over um, managing public service loan forgiveness? My guess is that it's going to be Mohila because they have a very si- similar internal system um, that is going to you know make it make the transition pretty easy. We don't know yet, but that's going to create just a little bit of a ripple for some people yeah. um, administratively. Hmm. So is there anything that a borrower in the PSLF program needs to do, you know, while these changes are up in the air? Yeah, so we're recommending that everyone who is qualified for public service loan forgiveness to fill out their employer certification form before the end of the year so that they make sure that they have that form filled out, they have their most recent set of payments counted with the old program, and then also to download your payment history. So those are two things Mm. that you can do. And even if you're not in public service loan forgiveness, there are people who are serviced by Fed loans um, who are not going for public service loan forgiveness. You should do the same thing to be prepared. That way you have some sort of written record Gosh, of where yeah. you were before this change happened. So smart. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I want to ask you, Lauren, what's your take on income share agreements? Because they seem to be becoming more common. Um, and it seems like some students have had, you know, uh, they haven't been taking advantage of in there. It's, it's worked well, but other folks have been taking advantage of when it comes to those income share agreements. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on those? And let's say uh, a student, someone who's going to school is looking at that as an alternative to student loans. Is that worth going in that direction instead? I think 
that they there's still some some kinks to be worked out as it pertains to income mm-hmm. share agreements. Like you said, you've already brought those up. Um, <laughs> but I, I definitely think that it's something worth looking into. What I think is probably more productive is you know spending more time looking for the scholarships that exist because there are many that go um, you know unsigned up for, um, unrewarded over the course of every year. So that would be one thing to think about. And and then also, of course, grants and things like that. But as it pertains to the income share agreement, I think that um, it can be a good program and that, you know, I said once they get past the kinks that this is going to be something that's going to grow and that people are going to be more interested in participating in. Hmm. Yeah, I, I personally kind of like the idea of it, like the principle behind uh, everybody having a little bit of skin in the game. But yeah, like you said, I mean, there are a lot of some uh, of those specific agreements have not been great. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, and, and, or have taken advantage of people, and the yeah. ability for them to change the agreements. Right. right like, right. I mean, that's the or say, oh, now you got to sign a second one. Yes, it's like, <laughs> oh, that didn't quite cover uh, your full undergrad or what it, whatever degree it is that you're seeking after. Uh, now mm-hmm. you have to sign up for another income share agreement before you know it. They're taking large percentages <laughs> of your future income. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, not yeah, cool. Look, no. Not the cool. um let's talk about grad school loans for a second. The uh the Wall Street Journal, they had this article uh recently detailing how like even law school students they're getting crushed by student loan debt uh and they're unable to earn a decent living after graduating. So with that in mind, what considerations should be made uh before borrowing for an advanced degree? The biggest thing I think that people need to be thinking about as they get prepared for graduate degrees is what do I actually need in order to um, pursue this degree? Because what's happening right now is that there's there's no limit on what you can borrow. So, mm. you know, people are borrowing their education. They're making sure their their housing costs are covered. They're, you know, had their Friday night drinks and beer covered. <laughs> Go ahead, throw the boat in there, too. I'll like, take a swing on them for that, too. Right. Yeah, why not? Exactly. They're buying their car with their student loan payments. So, uh, so these are the things that, you know, like they said, lack of financial literacy and just trying to get by. You don't realize like, oh, I'm going to have to pay this back at some point. Um, and this is going to set me back as it pertains to what I want to accomplish in my financial future. So uh, more education would be great. But uh, if you are heading to graduate school before you take on that six figure debt, because it's generally six figure debt for just about everybody at this point, some more than others. Like you said, lawyers were at around two hundred thousand. Uh, veterinarians were around 400,000 physicians, uh, dentists also 400,000 and up. Uh, we've seen a million dollars of student loan debt. That is a real thing. Shut up. <laughs> that is a very real thing. Oh my thing. gosh. I could um, not imagine that. I can't either. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But to, yeah. And then do some comparison and analysis for what you're going to earn. Because like you said, lawyers, I think are the ones that are, um, you know, you get the fancy title. You're trying to live up to the hype. You're kind of to create a lifestyle that says like, Hey, Hey mom, I'm an attorney. Uh, but you're also earning like $45,000 a year. Right. Uh, and so the title and the income are not matching up with the 200k of student loan debt that you got uh, do, to get do that you have title. a rule of thumb that you suggest to people then that in order to like how do you know how much you should borrow like how do you know like okay actually i definitely like this is a bad decision for me to go to this school and take on this debt load in order to get this degree like yeah what rule of thumb do you have for people who are trying to figure out the cost benefit analysis of getting an advanced degree I would say to, to spend a little bit of time of like understanding like what the lowest paying job in the profession you uh, intend to go into postgraduate um, is and versus what the you know average is or the medium and the mean because a lot of those numbers are um, like you said averages that are that have the outliers put into it so it's not the actual I think is it is it median is the proper term where you get like the the, the how many median, of these people yeah, yeah. yeah middle of the road as opposed to the outliers that are making bank right <laughs> right exactly 
and yeah, like I said, we always see average numbers, not median numbers. So to really get an understanding of like what the low end of the earnings are and then build your, build yourself a budget based on that. That would be a good exercise. Like if poop hits the fan and I don't get what I want, uh, and I have to take a job in this industry that is, you know, far less than I thought, how would I live? Right. Um, and then use that as a guiding principle for whether or not I want to take the risk on of taking on this additional debt. I love it. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's the kind of the due diligence that people don't take sometimes before getting a degree. It's just assumed that, well, of course, getting this degree is going to lead to a higher income. And so I'm just going to keep on piling on that debt. Um, and then it leads to heartache in the end. And just um, sometimes a decade plus of just really tough financial situation. I want to know your advice, though, Lauren, too, like real quick. What's your advice to young folks or or parents of high schoolers about taking on student loan debt, even just for an undergraduate degree? I mean, some of our listeners, they might have middle school age kids or they're getting into high school and they're trying to figure out, like, how do I guide? How do I Sherpa my child through this you know, new world of just record amounts of student loan debt that kids are graduating with? How do I ensure that my kid isn't one of those awful, you know, situations that gets detailed in some future Wall Street Journal article. (laughs) How do I make sure that my kid graduates and isn't like, uh, you know, behind the eight ball to start with? Yeah, I would say to the parents out there, this is where starting to parent and, you know, that from that tough love standpoint is so important. So, you know, so often we want to protect our children, uh, make sure that they're, you know, well cared for and, we, we just push things off because we want them to kind of live in a bubble. Well, at some point mm. they are going to become adults and you don't want them to be ill prepared for adulting. Part of parenting is making sure that, you know, you're looking into their future for them. And so the conversation needs to start in middle school about that. There is a cost related to going to college and when they're in high school, um, you know, w- these are the costs, you know, like the cost is the thing that you need to be thinking about and discussing with them, not trying to take them or shield them from, uh, so that they have a really good understanding of what's realistic and and having them think about what happens in the future. So if we go to fancy school X, Y, Z that costs, you know, $50,000 a year. Um, and you know, I made enough money that I am, you don't qualify for any financial aid. Uh, you're going to be taking out $30,000 a year of student loan debt, which is going to be 120,000. And, you know, as an undergraduate, that's a thing to be thinking about. Um, and so that is a good point too, for parents that are higher earners that may not be in a position to save for their children's education. Uh, to, like I said, that, that conversation is going to be that much more important because I've seen a lot of social pressure. You know, maybe you've been paying for private school up to this point. Um, and everybody, like I said, is going off to, to fancy school XYZ. So you're like, oh, if my child gets into that school, I have to make sure they go there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to send your kid to community college because it's going to be better for their overall financial future. How cool is it if they get to go to fancy school XYZ and then they get out of school and they're making $30,000, you know, with $120,000 of private student loan debt at that right. point? Um, well, and, and even if community college isn't necessarily cool, it's way cooler than graduating with like boatloads of debt that you can't afford to pay. Exactly. And so this is where you start to think ahead. If you've made financial decisions that you're not proud of, how can you change the trajectory for your children's future and not put them in a situation where they're going to make financial decisions that they're going to be digging themselves a hole before they even get started? 
Hmm. And that is not the position you want your kids to be in. I mean, Joel and I, our oldest, uh, we both have eight-year-olds, and these are conversations we've already started with them, Mm -hmm. talking about college, the cost of college, saving for that, and obviously the other... I told my eight-year-old she can't go. (laughs) It's just not happening. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to start entrepreneurship at the age of 18. Hey, there's nothing actually wrong with entrepreneurship. No, there's not. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, this has been a really insightful, fun conversation. We really appreciate you coming on. Where can folks go to learn more about you and to specifically learn more about student loans, uh, student loan repayments as well. Definitely. If you're looking for me, you can find me on pretty much every social media platform and you can find my website. So worth-winning.com or lauren-williams.com, depending on whether you're looking for the Olympian or the financial planner. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want help with your student loans, I recommend going to studentloanplanner.com. Like I said, tons of free resources, uh, tons of of certified professionals so we are all student loan uh certified student loan professionals cfps or cfas uh and very well versed in student loans in addition to you know general personal finance so those are the three places i would look awesome lauren it's been great chatting with you thanks for all the information and just for hanging out with us we really appreciate it it was so fun hanging out with you all today all right, man. That was a great convo with Lauren Williams. And yeah, just a lot of helpful insight, especially in the tumultuous world of student loans. There's um, just a lot of things for people to think about, especially right now with yeah. the uh, extended forbearance, right? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff moving, a lot kind of what feels like that's up in the air. Uh, but I think Lauren gave us a great framework uh, for those out there who have student loans and how to approach their student loans. But uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and get to my big takeaway Please do. for this episode. I want you to go first. <laughs> So she specifically addressed graduate student loans. uh, And basically, I I just liked what she said regarding knowing what you need and only get the amount of money that you need for that degree. Don't look at your other living expenses because hopefully you're working at that point in time and you're able to cover those expenses. You're able to sustain yourself with that job or that part-time job. Don't be tempted just because you can uh, into taking out a bunch in student loans that you end up, like like she said, uh, putting that towards going out with uh, some friends for drinks or, or a vacation or a car. Uh, it can be so easy to be tempted down that path when it's just right there hanging before you. So I think that was some great advice from Lauren. Yeah, I think that there's like nothing else in life to where we don't look at the price tag before we buy it, except for maybe healthcare. Healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> healthcare. <laughs> that's like the old one other place. But I think people so often do that when it comes to higher education is they fail to really look at the cost. And then the benefit that they're going to receive from it, it, it's just kind of an assumption that getting this degree, getting a higher education is going to lead to you know, increased earnings and it's going to be worth it. Of course, it's going to be worth it. But in in many cases, it is. But then uh, there are a lot of cases where people don't run the numbers, where they're not going into it with eyes wide open. And then they end up with student loan debt that's backbreaking and a income post-graduation that isn't so as great. robust as they would have hoped. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, and her advice too, specifically about when you're researching typical salaries for whatever degree you're getting, don't necessarily look at the average uh, and don't go best case scenario. Like be realistic. Look right. at, you know, what maybe the median salary is or maybe even you know what's on the lower end of that it'd be like basing your budget off like 
the best month uh, early yes, month of the yeah, year it's yeah, like, yeah that's not a good don't idea. go off of averages like it, when she was talking about that it made me think of like the joke about bill gates walking into a bar like if he walks into a bar like the average net worth of everyone shoots up uh, <laughs> dramatically that's not because they all you know all of a sudden became worth more it's because he makes so much and so don't get pulled into that trap of thinking that you're definitely going to be making average or above average yeah i think my big takeaway was perseverance and lauren is one of those people who has persevered in multiple different arenas and multiple different facets of her life and that's i I admire she's incredibly just accomplished and just also cool and down to earth but uh, her perseverance and kind of her admonition for us all to persevere a little bit more was i think i I don't know i appreciate that um, because i feel like it takes a lot of discipline to achieve financial freedom it's not one of those things that comes along by happenstance right it takes a lot of intentionality and putting in the hard work and i think um especially in modern society we want uh to put money in a crypto currency we want to see it go to the moon like we want it to happen overnight we want our financial troubles to go away quickly but that is unrealistic like we get rich slowly and the good things in life come to those who persevere so uh, yeah i think that was probably my big takeaway from this combo but let's get back to the beer mat this one was called the donkey and the thistle is by mad fritz brewing company this was donated by your old college roommate cal so yeah what were your thoughts on this pale lager yeah thanks to my old buddy for donating this one to the show uh first of all i want to mention that it came in one of these fancy uh stopper bottles right so like it looks like a wine bottle but it's kind of got like the metal what's it called it's got like the metal stopper built into it where you can kind of flip it down yeah i don't know what it's called but i like you know yeah it's (laughs) it's super fancy uh and this brewery is out of napa valley so they've got a lot of ties i think there with some of the different vineyards uh some of the different wine producing regions over there but uh so this is yeah a pale lager man and the first thing that came to my mind uh when i took my first sip was that it's super pillowy uh it had a very European uh, lager like profile in my opinion and then on the back end I feel like it kind of dried out and it almost had like some Belgian-y like bready notes as well but it was yeah really enjoyable very drinkable something uh, I enjoyed sharing with you today what were your thoughts on it yeah man I thought this was really interesting it was dry it was a little bit funky I feel like this beer was producing rustic vibes for me. Uh, oh, yeah. Part of it was the label of basically like a donkey, a, a beast of burden <laughs> on the front. But then also just... Thistle is also in the name. Of yeah, the yeah. It, it feels like, you know, tumbleweed's going to blow by. And like this, a, is a, this is a John Steinbeck beer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And I love John Steinbeck. Vibes? So, yeah, yeah, okay. Totally. This is the beer <laughs> I would drink while reading East of Eden, my favorite all-time book. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it, it had not just that rustic vibe on the artwork, but also in the flavor profile. Really, really interesting. It's very unique. And I'm all about these beers that are funky and relaxed and mellow. And yeah, so big thanks to Cal for giving us this beer to have on the show. It was it was delicious. Yeah. And we will actually, uh, we'll put a picture, we'll make sure there's a picture of the label of this beer up on our website, along with some of the different links and resources that Lauren mentioned uh, today on this episode. We actually didn't even talk about this, but she has a book out about being an Olympian and training called The Oval Office. Uh, if you're interested in her story there, we'll, we'll make sure to link to that book as well. But Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.